Welcome back to Buckeyes in Maryland. Uh, I'm your host, Mac Perry, joined by fellow co-host Chris Velasquez. Unfortunately, due to a scheduling conflict, uh, John couldn't be on tonight. But, you know, we do have a special guest lined up talking uh, to talk the world of college football. Uh, but before we get to that, we'll go ahead and get to a couple of big stories from this week. And first one off the bat is a doozy. Dak Prescott being injured. He will miss the rest of the regular season. Andy Dalton, who's brought in to serve as a backup, will serve as his replacement. Chris, how do you think Dalton's going to do this year? You think he ends up guiding the Cowboys to the playoffs? I don't know, man. It's a it's going to be a tough one. I mean, Andy Dalton does have a, a better line than he did in Cincinnati. Um, and he has better athletes. I'm not saying that A.J. Green or you know, Joe Mixon is not good enough, but I think it's better in Dallas, but only time can, you know, time can tell. So we'll see and see how it goes this, you know, this week. Yeah, I, I'm kind of of the mindset that uh, Dalton, you know, a lot of people wrote him off as being, you know, done. And I'm certainly not going to shy away from the fact that I've kind of, I think I've alluded to that myself on a few occasions, but uh, you look at the offense that he's, you know, been given, you look at the weapons he has, uh, the offensive line, like you said, that he has now, and it would be very hard, especially within the weakest division in football for him not to at least contend for the divisional crown, Uh, you know, the biggest threat to them. While you could honestly say it would be anybody in the division, uh, would but would probably be the Eagles. Uh, but let's let's not kid around here. The the Cowboys, you know, even with a pretty ugly defense, have one of the best offenses in football. Even with Dak Prescott being out, I mean, you still have Ezekiel Elliott to you know to lean on. You have a three headed monster and. Uh, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and now CeeDee Lamb, who, and, you know, people better take notice. CeeDee Lamb's actually on track statistically to uh, have the highest amount of receiving yards ever in a rookie season. Go check that out. Um, so he, he definitely has weapons around him to, you know, kind of kind of take the burden off. Um, but, you know, in Dallas, in a year where, Eight and eight, potentially seven and nine, could uh, win the division. Are still definitely a threat to make the playoffs. So we'll have to see how well Dalton does this year. If I'm gonna go, you know, statistical on you guys, I'll probably predict that Dalton throws anywhere in between three uh, three thousand to thirty five hundred yards. I know we're already, you know, a little bit over a quarter done with the season, so that would have to obviously be adjusted a little bit, but uh, I'm going to go probably closer, moving closer to 3000 yards, maybe somewhere in the area of 22, 23 touchdowns. So I think he'll have a, a pretty successful run this year. And, you know, who knows, he might parlay this into, you know, uh, a starting job elsewhere. You know, we'll have to see. Uh, but yeah, Andy Dalton, man, who would have thought, the devastating news coming out of Dallas. Uh, the next big thing that, you know, that, that occurred just yesterday, I believe, was Le'Veon Bell signing with the Chiefs. Man, the rich get richer. What do you think about that? Listen, Le'Veon Bell, listen, he got paid while he was in New York. We all know that. But 
listen, Le'Veon Bell has a lot, a lot of talent, and teaming up with Mahomes, uh, that's tough. That is really tough. I'm just glad my Patriots already played them. <laughs> I know we already talked about this. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I actually was, you know, going back and forth with Chris about this, about the Patriots possibly picking him up. Uh, but Chris knew already that that wasn't going to happen. So he was definitely right about that. Uh, I, I believe the Patriots have the second best rushing offense in football right now. Uh, so they don't, they don't really need them. They've been getting by without them. So, I mean, why take a chance on a guy who could potentially be a detriment to your team, at least from a locker room standpoint? Um, I don't honestly, the guy got his money. He could have went elsewhere, you know, to, to get, uh, to get more carries. There certainly was a handful of teams out there that could have offered him as many carries as he'd like, i.e. the Miami Dolphins. Uh, you know, somebody like that who could have given him money and carries, but he ultimately chose to go with uh, the team that offers him the best chance probably to win a Super Bowl. And a lot of people, uh, you know, probably share the same sentiment as I do. Does really the rich got richer, man? They the what don't the Chiefs have on offense? It's just you know, it, it's just unfathomable how good they could potentially be, even with a starting caliber running back already on the roster that they just drafted in the first round, mind you, and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, but clearly, Chris already knew that uh, the Patriots didn't need him. So I was definitely wrong about that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really had hoped that my, you know, my Philadelphia Eagles would at least bring the guy in or, you know, do something, give him a workout. But no, Doug Peterson said that, uh, you know, we, we pretty much have our three down back in Miles Sanders. I can't argue with that. I love Miles Sanders. I actually just ordered uh, a jersey nice white jersey of his so you know i can't complain but it would have been nice to get another weapon that's all i'm saying come on philly you see how decimated we are in our uh, wide receiving course we gotta we gotta get a weapon somewhere and i think that was an interesting uh interesting point of our conversation that we had the other day about the patriots possibly needing weapons in that receiving room yes we do yeah, definitely. Philadelphia falls in the same line. Uh, yeah, so that's Le'Veon, man. That's that was that was crazy to hear about. Uh, a lot of people already saw the writing on the wall. Apparently, I just wasn't one of them. Uh, but moving on to another topic, you know, I, I love basketball, guys. Um, not as much as football, but it definitely warmed my heart to see LeBron win his fourth ring. Oh my uh, god. <laughs> hey man he brought a championship to the city of cleveland uh as an ohio native i never thought that that would be you know a possibility so i'll be eternally grateful to lebron no matter where he's at um you know and when he first left miami that definitely stung i was definitely pissed off you know that but uh, the the writing was on the wall there. When he came back home to Cleveland, he promised to win a championship, and he did that. And then, you know, he, he gave the city a few more seasons of finals basketball, and then, then he departed to his 
the destination he thought would best give him the opportunity to win in a uh you know in, in style and he chose LA. I could I could definitely not blame him for that. Uh and it just feels good to see him win another ring. Uh yes, he had Anthony Davis and a lot of people, you know, would really probably agree that Anthony Davis was the major cog that, that kind of caused everything to kind of flow together offensively and defensively. But LeBron is still the glue. You know, there are too many times and just even, uh, you know, this this finals where Anthony Davis disappeared at certain points, especially on offense. Uh, LeBron is the one consistent thing. You know, when you, when you talk about playoff basketball, you know what he's going to bring game in and game out. And he did more of the same in this year's playoffs, especially in the finals, uh, en route to his fourth finals MVP. You know, he is the first player in NBA history to win finals MVP for three different franchises. That's history. Um, I'm of the opinion and I know a lot of people kill me for this, that LeBron is the greatest player ever. Uh, oh, no, you didn't just say that. <laughs> you know I went there, man. You know I was going to go there. I was leading up to it. I had to drop that. Uh, I, I, You know, regardless of what anybody thinks, that's just my opinion. I And I definitely get the whole Jordan comparison, you know, with the rings and the finals. I get that. But I look at a player of LeBron's caliber, and I just – Honestly, man, honestly, Chris, I say to myself, I think Prime, one-on-one, I think he would destroy Jordan, man. He's just too big. And I know I'm going to lose, I know I'm going to lose a little bit of respect for this from some people, but I don't care. (laughs) Listen, it took LeBron a lot, okay? Yeah, LeBron's been in the league for 17 years, okay? He's been to the final 10 times and only won four rings. Not a look good. Not doesn't them stats don't look good to me. Sorry to tell you. Took you, <laughs> took you. Listen, it took you a long time. I'm 27. You joined the league when I was 10 years old. Um, boy, um, it took you a long time to get four rings, big dog. Hasn't take Kobe or Michael Jordan to get that long. And um, yeah, LeBron's yeah, he's all big and stuff. But don't forget, but Michael, Michael went to college and spent a couple years. LeBron went straight from high school. So, um, you know, LeBron got, you know, LeBron went to high, you know, got out of high school and played. So, but I'm still not giving LeBron the, you know, the GOAT. It's, it's going to be Michael until the day I die. LeBron has to, <laughs> LeBron has to show me something. And yes, AD should have won finals MVP. Oh, because, come on, man. Don't do that. No, AD should have won finals MVP. Because, yes, LeBron is LeBron. If you're another team, your main focus is on LeBron. But it's hard because you got AD and LeBron. So um, I think a little – I personally think AD carry LeBron. Okay, let me ask you this then. What would it take – because you said till death. That's a big statement. What would it take LeBron to do that he hasn't already done to make him the greatest player of all time, in your opinion? Or is there nothing he can do? He wins three more championships. 
three more championships. Okay, so that would take his total to seven, and that would make his finals record what? Seven and 13? Uh, yeah, I think seven and 13. That's what that would make it if he went to the next three finals and won all three. I'm not saying he's going to do that because the possible, the chances are is that he won't. But what I will say is this. Ten finals. He's been to ten finals, and in at least half of those, he was not favored. There's an argument to be made that LeBron has faced stiffer competition in his finals than Jordan ever had. Uh, obviously, you know, neither of us were really truly alive during that era. It to, and we can't appreciate it the way it was meant to be appreciated. It was definitely a more physical era. Um, you know, we can go back and watch it, you know, watch clips, watch games, but it's hard for us really to take account how, you know, what that era truly was and, you know, how fans viewed the game back then versus how they view it now, you know, soft or whatever, what have you, because that's that's just the opinion that a lot of these ex-players and, um, you know, fans have of this new era of basketball, is that these guys are soft. Um, but, you know, it's it really is preferential at this point, whether you have LeBron at two or one or one or two. Um, some people don't even have LeBron in the top five, which I, I definitely don't understand that. Uh, but it just, it just felt good to see him win his fourth title, you know, and to, to, to make history in doing that by being the first player to win finals MVP for three different franchises. It felt good. So, so now what I'm going to do is just ask you to, uh, to to list your top five players of all time. Top, oh, oh, all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. That's a doozy right there. Ooh. All right. This is a this is a hard one. Um, number one, Michael Jordan. All right. Number two, uh, all time, Kobe Bryant. Kobe, That's Kobe. The disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Number three. Number three. Uh, I gotta go another Laker, Magic Johnson. Magic Just Jeff. because you said something. Uh, number four, LeBron. And number five. That's a tough one. I won't lie to you. That's a that's a tough one. Ah, uh, number five, all time. Ah, uh, I haven't watched a lot of basketballs in the seventies and the eighties, or you know what I mean. Uh, you know he's always here. You know, watching growing up, I used to love watching him. So Allen Iverson. Oh, I did not expect that. Uh... I'm not going to beat you down over your top five. Uh, I disagree with you, but <laughs> but uh, it's your top five. It's your opinion. Um, I definitely – let me just ask you this. Is rings uh, is, is rings your top consideration when you talk about your top five? I mean, kind of. I'm not a – I mean, I like stats, but stats is not everything. Yeah, you can, you can, you know, have the most points, most rebounds, most steals. That's great and all. You know, you could smile for the camera, take a picture, whatever. But everybody plays for a championship. That's what you, you know, 
You spend, you waste time away from your family. You train. You put your body through so much punishment for what? You want a champion. You know, you want to put your name in the history books. So, yeah, rings do matter. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Uh, basketball is one of those sports where rings definitely does matter. Um, I mean, in, in comparison to football, it's a little bit easier to judge a player who hasn't won a championship against players who have in terms of greatness, but it's more difficult to do that in the NBA uh, when you talk about, you know, rings and championships as a whole on a smaller, you know, a smaller build of a team. You have rosters of upwards, you know, uh, upwards of 53 or more players in uh, the NFL versus, you know, 15, I think it's 17 now, uh, you know, with COVID going on. on your bench and whatnot in the NBA. So rings do matter. I cannot disagree with that. My top five, um, a little bit different than yours. Um, obviously, obviously LeBron is my, you know, my top player of all time. I have Jordan at number two. Um, you know, he's got six rings, six finals appearances. There's no debating his greatness. Uh, at number three is where we start to get a little bit of, uh, you know, some, some rough water. At number three, I do have Kobe. You know, he's got five rings. Uh, you know, he never switched teams. And he will ultimately, in, in many people's minds, is one of, is if not the greatest Laker, uh, you know, one of the three greatest. Uh, in my number four spot, I have Larry Bird. Larry Legend, man, he... He was a force. I think he could have thrived in today's game, if you ask me. He would have been yeah. one of those. He, I mean, he really was LeBron before LeBron. Uh, yeah, a lot of people like to consider, you know, LeBron more of a magic type of player, and I can't debate that. But what, in my opinion, I think Larry Bird definitely, you know, it is a very good comparison for him too. I think that Larry, like I said before, could have excelled in today's game. Um, it's not physical at all, especially in comparison to what it used to be. Larry, you know, can do a little bit of everything. So he's a LeBron type. Um, at my number five spot, Magic Johnson. You know, <laughs> I couldn't go anywhere else but Magic in, uh, in that regard. And I know a lot of people will say, well, no, you don't really have a big man in your, you know, in your top five. I just, in my opinion, the best players of all time are always probably going to be wings. Um, they're, they're going to be guys, you know, your threes, your fours, you can really do and and some twos who can really do it all on the court. And that's pass rebound assist, um, you know, and play awesome defense. So, you know, that's, that's my top five. I got LeBron, Michael, Kobe, Larry, magic. That's my top five. Love doing those lists. Uh, now time for, you know, one of our favorite topics, you know, that we really just started doing not too long ago, and that's Say It With Your Chest. And that's just a segment where, you know, me and Chris and, you know, and John, you know, when he's on, we just we just describe something that's really, you know, been getting to us, something that occurred during the week that we just kind of have to, to get off our chest. And, Typically, I let you guys go first, but today I'm just gonna have to. I'm about to take the spotlight and go first on this one, if you don't mind. Nah, great. Go ahead. 
So this, you know, today in a marriage as a significant other spouse, whatever, you know, even if you're not married in a relationship, you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have arguments, but it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to come to a compromise if the both of you are not on the same page in regards to something. Now, oftentimes in my marriage, I will find that, you know, that I respond differently to certain things than my wife does. But nonetheless, it's important for the both of us to come together and, you know, kind of figure out a, a common ground, a middle ground, uh, you know, to... To, to fix or find a pro, uh, solution to a problem. But uh, honestly, I have to say that, you know, if I'm just being candid, I'm being frank, I got to work on that. You know, it's it's not my strong suit. It, it, sometimes it's hard for me to, to, to put myself in my wife's shoes, but I know I got to do a better job of that. I'm not going to go into details and specifics of you know the things that occur uh between me and her uh because this that's not that's not the right right way to do things and this isn't the place but what i will say is i just got to do a better job at compromising it's really been on my mind uh really been really been something that's been weighing heavily on me i got to find a better way to compromise with her and you know to to find middle ground it's it's all marriage is always going to be you know something that you continually have to work on and i just know that that's one of the areas that i have to grow on so that's just that's that's something that's been on my chest uh now i'll go ahead and turn it on over to you uh well i want to get off my chest honestly it's not even a bad thing that happened to me this week i had a pretty good week but I did notice in Ohio, it has been raining. And, you know, I'm just driving down the street, going to the store, whatever. There's been a lot of accidents. Um, guys, it's, it's about to be that time of year where it's going to rain, it's going to snow, slush. If you can't drive, hey, if you don't know how to drive, don't drive. Yeah. The streets, Uber, call your friend, call your parents. Call, hey, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, if they know how to drive, let them take you to work. If we'll you just keep drive, the ass in the house. Exactly. If you don't know how to drive on these streets during bad conditions, keep your ass at home. <laughs> yeah, get your shit together. Oh, man, people, I don't know if you've ever been here and, you know, in the D.C. area, but people, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but people are crazy out here. People drive so differently than they drive in Ohio. It's just a mentality. And you know, you've you've been to New York many times. Yes. So and drove. you know the the mindset of people in these big cities, uh, you know, in these big uh metropolitan areas. You know the mentality is just so different from Ohio. Uh, at least that's my opinion. But these people have got to, you know, to chill out and learn how to drive. Uh Maybe I'm being a little bit overzealous on that, but that's just my opinion, folks. Uh, that's that's say it with your chest. Uh, you know, we love doing that. Everybody needs a place to vent, and this is where we choose to do it at. 
As promised, our special guest is ready to go, and today we're joined by none other than college football aficionado, Mr. Derek Worley of Triple Option Media. Uh, he's going to be breaking down college football, the, the the landscape of college football. We have a ton of topics to talk about in regards to because we haven't quite hit on it uh, so far in the podcast, and kind of sad to say that uh, you know we have we have really neglected college football, Chris. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we, we haven't really said anything about it, but there's a lot of big storylines, even with this current pandemic that we have going on right now. And one uh, that a lot of people need to get wise to with Ohio State getting ready to begin its season on the 24th is Trey Sermon, the kid out of Oklahoma, the, the recent transfer. Derek's uh, going to shed some light on. Yep. Yeah, man. And once again, thanks for having me on here. It's definitely a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to really get into it. It's something that I've kind of had my eye on in the offseason because I know that Oklahoma's kind of been decimated at the running back position, and obviously it's fortunate that Ohio State was able to to, to pick up such a talent like Trey Sermon. But, I mean, I I heard Ryan Day last year talk about at the end of the season, especially that they were one bad thing happening in the running back room to to be really faced with some challenges. But, um, fortunately and unfortunately that the the virus kind of slowed things down because it helped master T heal that Achilles up. And then Trey Sermon ended up transferring to Ohio state. But, um, if I'm, if I'm a betting man, Trey Sermon, even though they say that they're going to split some carries is going to be the, uh, the main horse in the backfield because, uh, because a lot of things that he does. And, uh, I'd like to just kind of break it down talking about his experience, especially because, um, at Oklahoma, the way that he ran is very, similar to Ohio State and I know this is kind of some stuff that we talked about offline but there's two very distinct running schemes that Ohio State uses whenever they run the football and you can even go back to Carlos Hyde and Zeke and everybody that's played running back since Urban Meyer kind of took that program over and handed it off to Ryan Day but it's a lot of quarterback run centric of course but the running backs do a lot of the same things and he trey sermon did that at oklahoma a lot of outside zone scheme and that's exactly what zeke did when he took that 85 yards down alabama's throat that uh outside zone handoff and i know i posted this highlight tape to you and it's a lot of guard action a lot of pulling and it's basically a running back like trey sermon who i compared a lot to uh carlos hyde just being able to have that quicker than fast mentality, the ability to pick his spots and go. But I'm telling you, man, Trey Sermon, he's going to fit right into this offense just because it is the same thing he's seen in Lincoln Riley's offense, just really trusting his eyes. And that's that's a big thing that J.K. Dobbins was able to do in this offense. Obviously, the talent was there. He can make people miss an open field, shoving Zach Orr to the ground with the stiff arm against Wisconsin. <laughs> but oh, like, yeah. Trey Sermon, he he's a really low, a low center of gravity. He can really run through some tackles. But I'm telling you, just watching his eyes and watching him be shifty in open field and be able to pick these spots in this outside zone run scheme, which you'll see a lot of. And then also just the standard read option where like Braxton Miller and Carlos Hyde, they made that pretty – uh, pretty famous for Ohio State. Just usually you're going to get each of them getting 15 to 20 carries a game uh, where obviously it's it's set up off that defensive end. And you'll see that a lot from Ohio State and Justin Fields this year, uh, especially because Ohio State actually has quarterback depth this year. So therefore, Justin Fields is not going to be afraid to pull that ball on the first drive of the series because that was a real thing we had last year watching Ohio State. And yeah. you knew that 
anytime they got into a, a little bit of a glitch, especially with Michigan State, you can see it. What happened? Justin Fields pulls it out to the side, pretends he's going to run, and then throws that little dump off past Ben Victor, and he takes it 60-plus to the house. So this year with C.J. Stroud backing him up, uh, Gunnar Hoke has a lot of experience backing him up, even Jack Miller backing him up. Like Justin Fields shouldn't be afraid to run the football this year, and that only – in turn makes the running back room more effective. So I, I'm telling you, man, I'm just excited to watch Trey Sermon. Everyone talks about how the Big 12 plays no defense, but if you watch the <laughs> tape of Trey Sermon, there's a lot of things. It doesn't matter which conference he's in. He's faster than the linebackers, and he's stronger than the secondary players. And Ohio State's offensive line, who is the best in the country, will make holes for him, and he's just going to get chunk yardage. It's going to be first down, and you're going to see a lot of first down carries for another first down or first down carry for seven yards, and it's second and three, and it's another first down after that. Like, There's no sense that Ohio State just can't keep feeding these running backs the ball, especially Trey Sermon. Yeah, Trey Sermon, I think that uh, he – I liken him a lot to Zeke. Uh, you know, I know, like you said, we talked about this a lot, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes. But they both really have vision. Uh, you yep. know, like you said, you, you, you have to really take into account the vision that a lot of these backs coming out of Ohio State have because – uh, you know, a lot of tension is, you know, a given to the offensive line. Uh, you know, I liken them to the Cowboys prime, really, you know, before all the injuries and whatnot. Uh, they they truly are the best offensive line of football, and they, they make almost any running back on the roster look very well, even Master Teague, who, uh, you know, I was going to ask you, yep. do you do you think that he that he pretty much eats a lot of those touches? You think he's an every down back? I don't think I'll say this. I watched a lot of Master Teague's tape when he was younger in high school and uh, a lot of his junior tape. And then he got hurt his senior year at Murfreesboro in Tennessee. And like he came on strong. And obviously uh, you saw Gus Johnson talk about Master Teague and them big shoulder pads. I think them shoulder pads eat two or three carries alone. Don't get me (laughs) wrong. But I just think like he is a very good setup back. And also he's very good situational back. I don't think his pass probably his pass protection isn't what it should have been last year. And that's probably why the situations where it was kind of obvious when he came to the game, you knew that it was probably a run situation. And if he worked on that in the off season, obviously it's going to help his case a little bit, but master Teague is a guy who is going to be someone that can run people over in the third and fourth quarter. I don't think master Teague is going to be going out there early on in the game, but perfect case and scenario was, was the Northwestern game. He's got great straight line speed. I don't think he's shifty, um, and, and the thing is, J.K. Dobbins was pretty much the same way his freshman year. If you watch a lot of the stuff from his freshman year, it's it was uh, he wasn't able to break away from the, the tackles like the he didn't have that great straight line speed. But as he got bigger and stronger and faster through college and even Mike Weber, Mike Weber was the same way at Ohio State. Like if you watched his freshman year, there was a ton of times, especially against Bowling Green in his first game and against Rutgers and a couple of games down the road for Mike Weber. Just he was getting shoestring tackled and didn't have the juice to just push it to the next gear. And maybe this offseason, given time for Master Teague to get better, maybe maybe he could. But as of right now, until I see improvement in pass blocking and pass catching i just think that he is a good uh tandem back i don't think he's a number one just yet so there you have it ladies and gentlemen trey sermon has the making to be the guy who puts master teague on the bench primarily as uh (laughs) 
as Derek pretty much said. And, <laughs> We're and not one, see one thing I want to throw in here too is as much as I talk about Trey Sermon and as much as we talked about Master Teague, I think the best running back on the roster is actually Marcus Crawley because nobody Ooh. just randomly goes out and gets the Gatorade player, Gatorade player of the year in the state of Florida without being a stud. And uh, when he was at Trinity Christian, the same high school that produced Sean Wade, uh, Marcus Crawley was the high school player of the year in Florida. And that's just not given out to any playing Jane. So just something to watch here. I think he runs hard. He's very uh, different in terms of what Ohio State recruits because usually, like we've talked about, you're used to seeing the uh, 5'11 or shorter, 220-pound running backs. Not quick. They're quicker than fast, but Master T, or sorry, but Marcus Crawley, he has the whole package. And I think that uh, any injury to one of those two guys, you're going to really see what he can bring to the table. Yeah, Crowley is got is a guy who only appeared in seven games uh, his freshman season. Yep, so he got hurt a, last year. Yeah, he's he's not a name that a lot of uh, casual fans are familiar with, but he definitely has the credentials to make an impact on the field. Uh, anybody who has viewed Triple Option Media's social media outlets has seen the ranting and raving about targeting and leading with the helmet within college football mm-hmm. and Derek <laughs> is a big proponent of that debate shed some light on that what is that looking like right now? So, because we saw uh <laughs> sorry to cut you off we saw in just I believe it was last week with Trevor Lawrence the golden boy of college football we saw the uh, a pretty bogus call made shed some light on on what this what this rule breakdown is uh, yeah man so like i just have always been a big uh aficionado here talking about terminology terminology and per, uh, perception are things that can go a really long way because if you look at the terminology for targeting you're going to basically eject the player every single drive and that's forcible contact to the head or neck area and then obviously the leading with the crown of the helmet and that's what ultimately got uh the player from miami ejected against clemson but it's just such a hard rule because I do not believe that because of a player that leads with his helmet and whatnot, and obviously it's it's for the safety of the game, and I understand that. However, these should not be calls that are being allowed to be reviewed up in the booth because obviously I talked to you about it. The last two times that Trevor Lawrence has been laying on the field, there was not a penalty in the field of play. And then all of a sudden, let's go back and look at our golden boy and find out, oh, how, how did he get hurt? Oh, it looked like it could have been bad. And then they just dropped the flag, reviewed for targeting, and both players, one being Sean Wade, obviously got ejected. And that's just – it's not fair. It's oh, not right because one. because if you can't call that in the field of play, then there's no reason you should be able to review it. And uh, Because you can go the other way. You can call targeting and then take it away. I just don't understand why you can just not call it and then – just oh yeah, well we saw something bad. Let's let's just drop the flag. No, it, that's not how it works. I think I, I've discussed this, and it just needs to be straight up saying that if a player initiates forcible contact by launching his body with his crown of his helmet or his shoulder pad to make that forcible contact, what they're looking for to the head or neck area only, then or they even need to put malicious content in there. Like that should be it. Because what we saw against Trevor Lawrence, where a player hit him in the rib pads from leading with his helmet yes but what what else are you supposed to do because 
everything is so quick and instant. All, all it takes is Trevor Lawrence to sidestep and he misses that tackle. So a player is lining up to hit Trevor Lawrence. And if Trevor Lawrence makes one slight, like slight move to his left before he throws that ball downfield, Trevor Lawrence evades that sack and he might run for 20. So I don't know what they expect these players to do, especially in these situations where uh, a player is falling to the ground or getting slung around in a tackle and a player just happens to make helmet to helmet contact and then they get ejected. It's just, it's a pretty, um, wide open no real gray area or there's a ton of gray area sorry uh for the rule and i just i don't like it it needs to be matter of fact and they should not be allowed to review and say oh there was targeting because we didn't see it like if you don't see it in the tackle then how to understand how you can just go back because everything works looks way worse in slow motion on a football field so definitely uh, <laughs> I, I that's that's my stance on it everyone gave me a lot of flack for it talking about how <laughs> he got ejected but that's when i commented on them with they that. really John, did the John Robinson hit. John Robinson is a true freshman at Texas, uh, five-star running back. If anyone's uncertain, he's going to be a stud here in a couple of years if Texas decides they want to play football. But um, he got literally upended as his head was going to the ground, and he basically turned himself into a lucky charm marshmallow, the rainbow shape, as he got turned completely backwards, and a player hit him square in the back with his crown of his helmet, but he didn't get ejected. But, but like we said, you just got to protect the golden boy. Yes, so in a sport where we are increasingly protecting the quarterback, tackling as an art form is starting to be, you know, it's becoming watered down. You have a lot of people complaining about the softness of football these days and, you know, how they've taken out a lot of clean hits, in my opinion. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yes, you want to do everything you can to protect the, you know, the quarterback especially, but are we not downgrading the, you know, the viewability, the watchability of these games by continuing to over penalize a hit? Right. And I don't think the, I don't think the targeting aftermath is acceptable either, because if a player hits somebody say in the uh, first play of the second half and he gets ejected for targeting. Now he misses the whole second half and the whole first half of the next game. I just, I just can't get along with that. I don't think the ejection is necessary. It needs to go back to the 15 yards and uh, the player needs to be able to stay in the game because these, these players don't need to be getting ejected for, for that. Unless I said before the malicious content, they need to make a fine line between that, personal foul, the unnecessary roughness versus what is actually targeting and trying to do malicious uh, intent to another player's head. That's, that's a fine line. They need to figure it out. And it does, it hurts the watchability, I believe, because like you could get a couple of your players ejected and be like, well, you know, like this ultimately killed our chances. Obviously as Ohio state fans, we've seen it uh, really change. And everyone was talking about big mo momentum. And that was the killer that ultimately turn the game around for Clemson, not saying that Ohio state didn't do themselves any favors, not scoring the ball in the red zone four times before Clemson scored. But ultimately that shifted the whole scape of that game and all because of them overturning that call. Like it just blows my mind. uh, Yes. I completely concur in regards to that. Uh, You know, losing a player due to targeting can definitely change the tides of that game. Although I think we'd all be in agreement here uh, if we stated uh, that if there hadn't been a miscommunication between Olave, 
And uh, yeah, Justin Fields and Justin Absolutely. Fields that we definitely could have won that game. I think it was definitely winnable. But in general, uh, you know, the whole the, the terminology is a big issue uh, right. in regards to that. Um, and, and another thing I wanted to state in here too, um, talking about especially being able to review if they're going to make it to where you can challenge things. Obviously, they the NFL flirted with it last year and then took it out the uh, challenging of pass interference, but. Um, if you can come out and change that college football needs to have that. So, because on that play specifically, obviously the, the targeting it took Sean Wade out trade chase young had a face mask on him. And then on Ohio States, I believe it was their first drive in the red zone. Uh, KJ Hill was getting pulled by his Jersey, the whole back of the end zone. So if they want to say, Oh, well, we can go through and make a booth initiated review. Then how about we can the booth initiate review when there wasn't penalties? That's, that's basically what you're saying. And if they're, you can't have one without the other. And that's what I'm saying. Like it needs to get removed because if they can review for a penalty, then they need to be re- able to review for all penalties. And that's the problem I have. Yeah. I think that is something that a lot of people would agree on. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to a topic that I, I love doing this and that's uh top fives. I love doing them. So, as our honorary guest here, Derek, I'd love to hear your top five quarterbacks heading into this upcoming draft. Okay, well, we'll break it down. And <clears throat> number one, not because of my my fandom here, but <laughs> I have I have Justin Fields. The more I go back and watch oh. tape, I went back and watched tape from Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields all of last year, and I honestly think that Justin Fields is the number one just because of what I've been really harping on the argument is the no yak because Justin Fields throws two spots. Mm. There's a big, I mean, it's very undervalued how good that is because Ohio state was bottom of the, uh, the barrel last year for yak in college football. And that's just because Justin Fields can throw two spots on the field. He can throw to the sideline. Well, he can throw to the end zone. Well, because the reason there's no yak is because people are catching the ball in the end zone. And that's just showing that he is being able to use that accuracy and fit it into those tight windows, into the corners of the end zone, things like that. And obviously it helps that Ohio State's run game is good. But the thing is, Justin Fields has no lack in mechanics. I know we, we've always messed around. I messed with Josh Collier a little bit back and <laughs> forth, but I just don't see it. Justin Fields can throw the ball from any arm angle. He can throw it around defensive linemen. He doesn't very rarely gets balls tipped at the line. And those are just things that aren't coachable. And that's what I think that he brings to the table. And this year being able to probably showcase those legs a little bit more, you're going to see a better Justin Fields. Do you think he has the arm strength that uh, the much touted Trevor Lawrence has? I think that there's a cap on arm strength. There's a point to where a player has to have a certain arm strength. And I don't think that uh, Justin Fields is even like worrying about that line because everyone, the big knack on Deshaun Watson was that he didn't have velocity on his football because he throws a 47 mile an hour football. And some people throw it 62, 63. I, I just don't think that that's a statistic because those those analytics just don't make sense to me. I think if you can make a throwing throw the ball from your 50-yard line all the way to the end zone, so 50, 60 yards through the air, I think you can be an NFL quarterback because that's just really – you're not making many more throws than that. You're not going to be chucking that 70-yard yard bomb like Patrick Mahomes every play. So especially with talking about how much time in the pocket you have to throw the ball – no quarterback's going to drop back with three seconds and throw the ball a hundred yards downfield to a receiver. You only need three seconds. If you can throw three seconds worth of route downfield, then you have enough arm strength to play. 
Completely agreed. Who's your number two? Trevor Lawrence. I know this. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but the thing is, I just can't stand when people just talk about how great he is. I understand what they're saying, but he is hidden behind an incredible scheme on offense. And I'll just give it to you like this. Against Miami and his first two touchdown passes, the first one was a sprint out, and then he threw a throwback screen, so no yards past the line of scrimmage. And then they ran a bootleg to the weak side of the field. Nobody was there, just dumped it over the linebacker, nobody there, four yards downfield. So he had uh, 36 yards, I believe it is, of touchdown with only four yards of airtime. And then if you look back at the Ohio State-Clemson game, Travis Etienne was the – he scored both the touchdowns through the air for Trevor Lawrence. And on those touchdowns, I believe it was 95 yards through the air, but only 10 yards thrown downfield. So that's all receivers and running backs doing the work for you. And I think that when Trevor Lawrence gets behind in obvious passing situations, he's awful, as we've seen from those points. And if it wasn't for Travis Etienne and those athletes that he had making those plays for him against Ohio State, he would have been terrible because look at LSU and he's never behind Trevor Lawrence. You've never seen him from behind and you've seen Justin Fields from behind from Wisconsin and he has responded. He's behind against Clemson. He's responded. Trevor Lawrence, he just gave the ball to somebody else and they did the work. And that's what, that's what concerns me. But Trevor Lawrence has all the arm talent in the world, but I just haven't seen him play from behind well. And that's what scares me because that's the same way Lamar Jackson is. Lamar Jackson cannot play from behind and that's scary. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I know who you're going with at number three, but we'll have you say it. <laughs> I got Trey Lance at number three um, just because I think Trey Lance has all the athleticism in the world to play the quarterback position, but you saw me in Central Arkansas go 15 of 30. He looked, he was missing throws. Obviously, it was their only one game of the season, but um, North Dakota State has superior athletes to everybody in FCS, so he's playing on an all-star team, and it's kind of hard to gauge that. And I just I worry a little bit, but I think he reminds me a little bit of Jameis Winston uh, just from how he looks as he throws the football, the things that he does as a quarterback in the pocket. But also he's got a little bit of Josh Allen to him. So there's a lot of coachable things there. If you're looking at pure talent alone, there's a possibility he could be the highest ceiling of these three quarterbacks that we've talked about so far. But he's still got a lot of work to do. But I think that right system he could get get it really going for him yeah um yeah i heard you mention the fact that he plays uh pretty much on an all-star team north dakota state man they they're a powerhouse nobody wants to play them because everyone was laughing because north dakota state was supposed to play oregon week one then ohio state week two or for uh, for oregon and they were talking about well oregon sucks to to be oh and two because they were saying they were going to lose north dakota state and (laughs) ohio state so i thought that was pretty funny yeah do you think it really matters him playing in the fcs no, just because of the things that he does well, because he is very good at improvising. He's good at running. He's, uh, I mean, he's a load, man. He's 6'4 plus, and he's, he's basically like a tight end run football out there when he gets it. Uh, but I just think that the speed of the game is something that you really have to adjust for because Joe Flacco, when he came out of FCS, and Carson Wentz, when he came out of FCS ball, uh, were all the hype. And Carson Wentz, like, obviously he lived up to the reputation for a while there with the Eagles and a lot of the injuries last year hurt him with that receiving crew. But, like, you just never know. And that's the uncertainty. It scares the crap out of me with FCS quarterbacks is you just never really know because of the talent level, especially with programs being superior. Exactly. And that's where you have to really see, like, 
a senior bowl and somewhere where you're going to get a pro football in his hands, a pro style offense to operate under pro coaches teaching you things. And then that's when you kind of see who's really made out for it and who's not. Right. All right, Trey, we're definitely rooting for you. Uh, Who you got at number four? I got Kyle Trask at number four, just on the sole purpose of what he stands for. The, the way he came up, the way he plays football. I really enjoy it. Not a big Florida fan. Uh, and I don't think I don't pin that loss on him to Texas A&M because he played well, but I just think that he's got incredible accuracy. I think he, if he's left open, he's never going to miss a receiver. I've never seen him miss an open receiver. And also, we, we'll get into it with Kyle Pitts later. But uh, I just think that he knows how to pinpoint balls to his receivers. And the thing is, Florida has five star receivers galore on that team, and obviously Kyle Pitts, like. Trevin Grimes, former Ohio State receiver, transferred over. Uh, Justin Shorter, former Penn State receiver, both 6'5", both have long wingspans. And Kyle Trask knows how to throw these people to football. And I think that he's great at that pinpointing. Uh, he's good with his eyes, moving safeties around. And uh, just something that I really just like his story, just how he was a walk-on, came up, really didn't have uh, many, offers, many offers. And just the way he's doing it and going about things, and I think actually, my bad, I don't think he was a walk-on. I think he had that one offer to Florida because of a camp. And uh, obviously the way he came up is is kind of unheard of in, in a program like Florida, especially with the fact is they have Emory Jones, a five-star quarterback, sitting behind him now. So that's that's the pretty interesting. Yeah, that Emory Jones was definitely a big pickup for them. All righty, who do you have in your final spot? Final spot, so this one's kind of a toss-up. Uh, I went back and forth a little bit between Shane Buchel and this person, but I have Zach Wilson. I really like what Zach Wilson is doing at BYU. I watched him a lot last year because they're always on the games after dark. I watched his first real start uh, last year against BYU in the, or against uh, Utah in the Civil War. Um, he's come a really long way. I don't think there's any quarterback who's progressed better in this offseason than Zach Wilson. Uh, he was kind of careless with the ball last year at BYU, uh, let alone if that's fumbling, throwing interceptions. And this year so far, he's 82 for 101. So 82% completions, 1,200 yards, uh, eight touchdowns, and one pick. So obviously the one pick, I, it was against Navy. I can't remember how it happened. I think it was like a miscommunication. But doing a really good job of allowing the running game for BYU to set him up on play action pass. And he's not zipping it downfield. He's just doing what he's supposed to and getting those intermediate routes. And uh, he's got all the strength in that arm in the world. And uh, I really think he's going to be something at the NFL level if uh, he gets in the right program. Yeah, the junior out of BYU will be draft eligible. Where do you think he goes? What round? I don't know. I would hate for him to go to the Steelers and get – destroyed by him in the next couple of years as a Browns fan. So. <laughs> yeah, you would hate to see that for sure, for sure. Yeah. All right. But I don't know. Anywhere, anywhere that will take a quarterback like him that could uh, definitely manage the game. Yep. Yeah. I hope that he doesn't go to Washington and get obliterated either. I don't want anybody to go there. <laughs> oh, don't let anybody out here where I stay at say, uh, let you hear you say that. But uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to – what Derek thinks the college football playoff teams will be. So this, I'm telling you, man, it's hard right now, especially with teams that haven't fully stepped onto the field yet. So I'm just going to give you my, my draft because <laughs> I don't know a little bit. But I, I will say this. I do not think Clemson loses a game, and I do not think that uh, – I don't know. I don't think they're going to take them out of that one spot, even regardless of how anybody else looks. 
I just think that Clemson will be number one because I think Notre Dame will play them tough, but I don't think Notre Dame will knock them off. The only way Notre Dame beats them is if it's a, a wet, sloppy game, rain, some just some turnovers, some fumbles, because Clemson, every facet of the game is better than Notre Dame. However, just never know with the elements. Things can change. So I think that uh, Clemson will be number one. I think Ohio State's going to be two. I think Alabama's going to get their defense fixed and be number three just because Nick Saban, he doesn't he doesn't allow that to happen. After the way that Ole Miss ran through them, that's that's not something that Nick will take very lightly. And their offense is just too good this year. I mean, obviously last year with two, it was a lot of RPO. But this year with Mac Jones, right. uh, it's a lot of uh, – still it's different. It's not RPO, but it's still a lot of get those – athletes of at the wide receiver position who are just way better than everybody Man, else. Mac, yeah, Mac Jones is looking really good this year. Yep. And that's the only thing I didn't put him on the top five for is because a lot of that stuff is I am just I can't stand a lot of those quarterbacks that just have so many so much yak because it's not showcasing what they can do. But Mac Wilson, I said that or, I'm sorry, Mac Jones, but Mac Wilson plays for my Browns. <laughs> uh Mac Jones uh definitely can definitely airing the ball out a little bit more than two. I think a lot of the deep crossing routes you're seeing that so I don't have him in my top five yet, but he's definitely on the outside looking in uh, probably like six or seven or eight spot. Um, but Alabama was three just because I think they'll beat Georgia because Georgia's offense is better with Stetson Bennett, but I don't think it's enough firepower to keep up because I think Alabama is built to stop Georgia specifically because Alabama's getting shredded by the spread look, but they are big, nasty up front. They're not going to get ran over by Georgia's power eye. That's the thing. Like back to go back to Ohio State and Michigan in 2018 when Michigan was the number two team or wherever they were ranked. What what happened? Ohio State stuffed them. Why? Because they're built to be yeah. the power run scheme. And this is the way that Alabama is. They are built physically stronger than Georgia's run schemes coming at them. So I think they'll stop them. And then uh, my number four spot, just because of what I think is going to happen with the landscape, I have Oklahoma State. Because Ooh. I don't think anyone in the Big 12 is going to challenge them because once they get Chuba Hubbard going and once Spencer Samuel starts slinging that ball around a lot better than he has been so far, they, they finally got a good offensive showing last week. But uh, their defense isn't terrible. And Mike Gundy, I think, will find a way because that would be a really good feel good story, honestly, especially with all the stuff that happened in the offseason. Yeah, that Hubbard, was definitely unfortunate. Uh, disowning Mike Gundy and for them to come together. And no one in the Big 12 is going to stop them, which means. Uh, especially not Oklahoma or Texas because they don't want to play defense. They're allergic to it. Um, but um, I just think that this is something to really keep an eye on because if there is a team from the Pac-12 that goes undefeated, like say Oregon or Cincinnati somehow uh, ends up going undefeated because their schedule is very favorable. Yeah. I love Luke Fickle and I love Marcus Freeman, what they're doing on the defense side of the ball. But um, they will choose a Power 5 champion over anybody else, and they will pick the Power 5 champion that has played more games, which will be Oklahoma State. So that's that's why I have them here right now. Obviously, once some teams start playing, things can change. But there's no saying that maybe Minnesota doesn't run the table and go and play Ohio State and lose by a field goal last second in, in the Big Twelve in the Big Ten championship if it goes to that. And then they could say, well, you know, like this this could be our fourth team or something. So a lot of a lot of maybes and have have nots happened yet so far this season. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's still very early and with Big Ten not quite yet in play yet. Hard to say what the outcome of the college football playoff landscape will look like. I will say that the Oklahoma State pick is definitely a bold prediction. I've not heard very many people say that, but I think we'd all love to see that. I mean, after everything, like you said, that went down between Gundy and Hubbard, 
it would definitely be a you know a feel good moment to kind of you know glaze all that over and smooth it over. Right. And and there's a name that people have kind of forgot about on the back burner, and that's Tylen Wallace. He is the receiver. He was the Bolitnikoff second. Or actually, I think he won the Blitnikoff as a sophomore, and last year it just didn't pan out for him. He came back to school, even though they said he'd go get drafted. And that's a receiver that had a he had close to two thousand yards his sophomore season. So once they finally start to get him the football, get Chuba going, like th- this offense is going to be good. Mike Gundy knows how to coach offense, and like I said, sure. Oklahoma State's defense has never never really been a slouch. It's not like they're out there getting ran through like some of the other teams in this conference. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely cannot overstate the importance of that guy Alrighty, so you know another segment that uh that that we love to discuss here is players who are overrated and underrated there's a there seems to be a lot of those in college football these days i won't you know uh directly point out a certain quarterback that we've already discussed who i think may be a little bit overrated uh, but <laughs> I'll let Derek do the, the, the talking in regards to that. Gotcha. So I think we had mentioned about doing some, some pros. So I got some other players that I'll throw in here too for some underrated picks. Then we'll talk about the ones that I think are going to have the, the pro jump. So for underrated pick, I think my underrated pick is Jonathan Adams. I've said, I've said his name a lot on my page on triple option, um, a receiver from Arkansas state. The dude has everything, especially in a system like Arkansas State. They always throw him the football. He just knows how to make catches. And if you want to learn it, learn a little bit about Jonathan Adams, go watch Arkansas State versus Kansas State. The dude had three touchdowns, and he just goes out there and just strong arms every corner that tries to guard him. So underrated there. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, a player that I've liked and really like watching, um, he plays at Pitt. His name's Paris Ford. He's a safety, and the dude just brings the wood, man. Like, I was watching him a couple games last year for Pittsburgh, and then I watched him during the uh, bowl game last year. I think they played Eastern Michigan in the quick lane bowl, if I can remember. Um, But Paris Ford is someone that's going to be rising up the draft boards. He's just a physical specimen back there at the the safety spot, and he just really comes downhill. So um, we'll go back to the the pros here in a minute, but those are my – underrated and overrated uh Kyle Pitts I know we mentioned it earlier in the show uh but I just think that he has a very dangerous timeline coming up here because <laughs> we talked about Jimmy Graham and how um when Jimmy Graham wanted wide receiver money because he was always lining up outside in the slot uh they moved him back inside a little bit more because well, we don't want to pay you all that. And his career has kind of taken a little shift ever since he was doing such good work with the saints and, and Kyle Pitts at that tight end slot spot lines up so much on the outside and does things from the tight end spot. I mean, he had at one point, I think he is at seven or eight touchdown catches. Yeah, so far this season. He's only he's, got like he's looked very well. Exactly. And, but the thing is he can't block. Uh, I've watched it get torn apart against South Carolina blocking. And uh, it's just, it's almost scary. Like if you want to look for someone to compare him to look at Devin Funches from Michigan um, back in the year of the late 2010s uh, plays for Carolina. Um, so Devin Funches is one. And then Evan Ingram, his career has not taken off as it was supposed to. And that's something that the announcers for the Texas A&M and Florida, uh, Florida game kind of compared Kyle Pitts to talking about those athletic SEC tight ends. But, I mean, you just look at some of these guys that just haven't developed. Like, look at O.J. Howard. Look at Irv Smith. Uh, just 
they are just these physical guys that play wide receiver basically at the tight end slot that make matchup nightmares because the linebackers are too slow to guard the safeties and corners aren't big enough but when they get to the nfl there's not really a spot because they don't really know how to block still and uh, they're just left out there on the island. So Kyle Pitts, I could be wrong here, but I've seen this story too yeah. many times for me to just say Kyle Pitts is a shoe and to be a stud because it's very it's dangerous territory with wide receiver, tight ends, hybrid guys that can't block. Yeah, they're um I, I kind of liken that to the uh the, the tweener statement that we used to have before the the, the NBA turned to its current playing style. They're, 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 those types of tight ends are kind of like tweeners. There's not a, a special not, there's not yeah, a home for not really a home <laughs> for at this point because you have to be able and, to block in the nfl as a tight end some of the best pass yep. catching tight ends in nfl history were excellent blockers you see how how exactly even though gronkowski isn't able to really have an effect in the passing game he's still an excellent blocker but uh, we absolutely definitely. And, and I'm seeing it right now. Look at my Browns. They're in this situation. Dave and Joku was talking about getting traded because why he couldn't block and Harrison Bryant. I've taken video and sent it out to my friends watching these games as a rookie tight end. The reason he's playing more than Dave and Joku. Why? Cause he's blocking. And that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm worried about is Kyle Pitts may not be the blocker and it kind of could hurt him because Devin Funches is almost the same build as this man, and he had a career that uh, did not go as Yeah, planned. Zach Ertz had the same issue coming out of Stanford. Uh, you know, he was able to sit under Brent Selleck and learn kind of the finer areas of that specific attribute. But we'll, I, I'm really hoping that Kyle Pitts doesn't fall into that category as I look at his statistics here. 17 catches, seven of those catches are touchdowns. I mean, that those yep. statistically – He's a monster, but if you can't block, you don't really have a place in the NFL as a tight end. Right, and and it's and it's crazy because those catches and touchdowns are coming when people know he's getting the football, which is still mind-boggling. He's getting doubled, and he's still making these catches. So not even degrading his athletic ability whatsoever, but just in terms of the blocking, that's what really freaks me out. So I'll move on to the defensive side of the ball now real quick, and nothing nothing too crazy here, but um, my defensive overvalued player is Marvin Wilson, D-tackle from Florida State, and there's a lot that can happen here. I say overvalued because of what he's not produced in college, but the thing is it takes a very specific scheme to get him where he needs to go, and the problem is at D-tackle, you should not be six foot six. That's that's what I see as the problem because Florida State runs a 4-3 scheme. He's a D-tackle. He's too big to play on the outside because he's not fast enough. However, if Marvin Wilson gets drafted by a 3-4 defense, I think he slides right into a 3-4 defensive end, and he could become an impact player. But just the way he's built, it's not built for a 4-3 scheme in college. So that's why I say it's overvalued because he was that five-star prospect, came in, could have probably went pro last year, but he's still really sh- like not showing his ability right now. But – if he gets to a 3-4 defense at the next level, he is going to be something. And one thing I wrote down on my paper right here is Cam Hayward is getting old, <laughs> and the Steelers need to replace him very soon. And uh, Marvin Wilson could be a guy that does that because uh, I think in a 3-4 scheme that the Steelers run, uh, he could be very effective. Obviously, that goes against what I want my Browns to be facing, but I also want players to succeed. And I think Marvin Wilson could succeed in a 3-4 for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. For sure. Cam Hayward getting old. Oh, I hate to hear that, but it, it's the reality. Mm-hmm. It's the truth. Uh, it seems like he's been in the NFL for forever now. 
Yep, I think he signed his last big contract last year, so I think that this is probably going to be the uh, the last big one. Then he's going to be start playing a little bit for a little bit less money because then then three four defensive linemen take a beating because there's only three instead of four, and they're out there really shoving their noses in places that uh, are pretty oh, dangerous. Yeah, for sure, for sure, uh, definitely. Uh, so now we're going to talk about a player that Derek really, you know, he, he thinks very highly of. Uh, and that is Absolutely. Cam Martinez. Yep, yep, definitely. And then after we do this, let's go back and hit on the uh, the uh, easiest pro jump real quick after we do the uh, Cam Martinez skit. Um, but for Cam Martinez, this is something that I've watched a lot of his tape. I watched it when he was a junior. I watched it when he was a senior. I watched his playoff tape in high school. And I'm just telling you, man, like there's players that just get it and there's players that are dynamic and need to touch the football and Cam Martinez is one of them because he came out as an athlete technically, but Ohio State has put him in the defensive backfield. He's already lost his black stripe, meaning he has officially become a Buckeye and uh, wants to be part of DBU. However, in high school as a senior, he carried the ball 264 times. He ran for 2,164 yards and 36 touchdowns from the quarterback spot. So that's eight-plus yards per carry as a QB. Uh, coming from uh, out of Michigan. So we pulled him from Michigan's backyard, basically. But uh, he's also dynamic enough to play on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball, and that's what I really love about him. Because when I when I look at a player of his talent, and it's kind of crazy because I texted my brother about it when he finally signed because he was signed to Ohio State, and then when Jeff Halfley left, uh, he, was, he retracted the commitment, and then Kerry Coombs came in, talked him into staying, and ultimately he did sign with Ohio state. But, um, I talked to my brother, Nate and told him like, look, man, this guy could really play both sides of the ball. It's almost like Chris Gamble. And I'm not even kidding. Bleacher report put out an article a week later saying Cam Martinez next Chris Gamble. And I was like, (laughs) Hmm, I think they're on to me. So I just think that this is a possibility. And I think I always talk to people about this. I say it a lot on my show. I personally believe that return men are better as defensive backs. Devin Hester was a corner when he went to my to Miami and uh Charles Woodson was one of the best corners back in or return men back in college. Obviously he won the Heisman as the only defensive player to do it. Uh something about even even Deion Sanders defensive back. Something about defensive backs when they get the ball in their hands, it's different because they have this urgency to house it every single time they touch it. So Cam Martinez is too electric to not put the ball in his hands. And I honestly think that yes, he might play corner. However, Ohio State likes to run that hybrid spot with Demario McCall now being started this year. I don't see a reason why Cam Martinez, especially with Mookie Cooper, the only person right now slotted behind Demario McCall at the H-back spot, um, to be a threat on both sides of the ball and also be the next return man at Ohio State because there's just something about him, something in his eyes. There's very few players that I think that are this electric that could house it every time they touch it. And Cam Martinez is one of them when I watch the tape. I feel like every time he touches the ball and catches a snap, okay, he's going to run this one to the house. And that's where I think that um, he can do all those things on the offensive side of the ball. If they are putting him on defense, obviously he's got something special because you can see all the things he can do with the ball in his hands. If Ohio State coaches with who Mickey Marotti uh, and Mark Pantone, the director of recruiting and player personnel and player development, if they put him on defensive side of the ball and knowing all the things he can do with the ball – Obviously, there's something going on that we don't know, and he's going to be the best cornerback to obviously walk the earth. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm just saying, like, there's something that blows my mind when they just put players in positions. Like Sam Hubbard came in 
as a safety from Muller yeah, to Cincinnati and man. ultimately became exactly put 65 pounds on in college and became a defensive end for the Bengals. So when they put Cam Martinez on the defense side of the ball and already pulled his black stripe off, I think Cam Martinez is going to be playing as a true freshman and doing things uh, for the Buckeyes before the season's over. And definitely someone who's going to be probably another one of those first round draft picks from uh, Kerry. Yes. As Ohio state fans, we definitely really pull for him. We definitely hope that he goes on to have a productive career at Ohio state. With that being said, and then I'll do the, uh, the pro jumps real quick. I wanted to throw it in there cause I took gotcha. a little bit of time. So, so for the defense, I'm just going to do this one real quick. Um, Micah Parsons linebacker from Penn state. Um, somebody that, I mean, he's got all the size in the world. He can do everything. He's already opted out. He hasn't, He's not coming back, even though they said, hey, even though we're going to be playing football, he's like, no, thanks, I'm good. I'm going to prep for the pros because he doesn't even need it. He only needed two years in college, and he's already uh, a locked-in top-five pick, I believe. And, I mean, just about a completed linebacker that I've seen coming out in a while. I mean, he could run players down, came into Penn State as a defensive end, and then ultimately was so athletic that he could move in and play inside linebacker. But um, – at 6'3", 245, he can play inside, he can play outside, he can rush the passer, he can do it all. So I just think that someone drafting Mark, Michael Parsons is getting a day day one inside-outside linebacker starter, doesn't matter where. Um, so if you're drafting Michael Parsons, you're drafting a day one starter at the position. And then for the offensive side of the ball, I looked at a lot of places, um, did a lot of my notes stuff. I wanted to put Jalen Waddle on here just because I think as a player – at the wide receiver spot, he knows exactly what he's going to be doing yeah. lining up in the slot at from Alabama. But I'm telling you, man, just something, something telling me that I had to put Wyatt Davis on here. Obviously, I love my my Buckeyes, and I did do a lot of soul searching. <laughs> it's not like I just threw a high. Are you sure about here. that? However, <laughs> oh, I did, I did. I looked at, I thought about Jamar Chase as well because, but the only thing that concerns me is Jamar Chase's size. I mean, on the outside, but Wyatt Davis is about as complete because that's what we're looking for most pro ready as complete of an inside lineman that's come out in the last five years next to Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame because he can do it all. He can pull. He hasn't allowed a single pressure. He just gets it, and he does not take anybody lightly. There's usually a video or two in the soft season per month, per week of – uh, let's let's watch this play from Ohio State season, and what is it? All you see is 52 just mauling somebody alive. So I think that Wyatt Davis – is going to step in and be a day one starter in the interior of any team that drafts him. So that I think for in terms of position by position, pro ready player on the offensive side of the ball, Wyatt Davis is the best player at his position uh, to come into the college football or to the NFL football next season. There you have it. I love it. Derek showing the big guys some love. You don't often hear that. I mean, as a, yeah, you, you don't. <laughs> and I and I looked a lot too, man. I, I watched some more uh, Penai Sowell's tape from uh, Oregon, their left tackle, who's slotted to go in the top five. But I just watching some of the teams they play in the Pac-12, I just can't can't see it. And the fact is that Wyatt Davis held his own all season against interior linemen that are going to be in the NFL, especially against Clemson as well. Held his own against interior linemen. Like there's nobody that has overpowered Wyatt Davis or really got around him. And I think that that's important from an interior line because he's going to get drafted by a team that should want to run the football because he's probably the best run blocker in the draft. So 
I think that uh, that's something you need to watch for is Wyatt Davis. And honestly, I'd like for him to go to my Browns because we could probably use another <laughs> guard if Wyatt Teller goes down. But I'm not saying that's going to happen. But teams that love to run the football uh, are probably going to be looking for a guy yes, like Wyatt Davis. Yes, you could definitely do much worse than to get a player of Wyatt Davis's caliber. And it's and it's rare for an interior lineman. Like I said, Quentin Nelson is one is very rare for an interior lineman to be drafted that high, and especially in the top ten. And White Davis is sniffing top ten right now. So that just goes to show you how special very he special. really is. Interesting, interesting little nugget about White Davis. He is a communication major. And we'll see if he finishes mm-hmm. that degree. He's going to communicate <laughs> to the defense. He's going to run them over on the next exactly. play. So he's pretty good at that, I guess. And and also he came from St. John Bosco. Uh, one of the uh, power high schools out in California. So obviously he wanted to go to Ohio State and be developed by Greg Stadrala. So uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely got, definitely got developed by for the sure. coach. So definitely, Mickey for sure. Uh, with that being said, I just want to take the time, you know, Derek, tell, tell the people a little bit about triple option media. Yeah, man. So I, like I said, I, once again, I do appreciate you having me on. I know it's important. I like to go back and, uh, get with my friends and everything we went to school together uh just get my name out there because my goal right now is kind of just do a lot of the high school uh recruiting and doing a lot of evaluations of my tapes and whatnot um but also i do a lot of obviously what we talked about here a lot of the college stuff and also i got a lot of people that have on my page they do a lot of sim racing stuff not anything that a lot of people are interested in but i do technically all sports but um that's, that's generally what it is. It, it's a lot of me doing the uh, evaluations, what I see. Currently, I'm in the middle of uh, trying to get two players some offers for colleges. One of my buddies that I'm stationed with down at Barksdale Air Force Base, he's got a brother who plays high school football in uh, Mississippi right now. He's a, he's a really good running back. He was a player of the year in the state for the uh, the district and I believe actually the, the 1A division that they play in. So he's really good. His name's Goldman Butler. And uh, so far, my email, my, my sent box on my Gmail is pretty loaded right now. I've been talking to a lot of the FCS coaches, uh, trying to see if I can get him an offer. And then uh, along with another player that just uh, recently messaged me last week, I've been sending some emails out. So ultimately, the goal when I get out the military is to go be a scout. So just trying to get that going with my triple option page. But also, I'm a big gamer, too. So we post our racing videos. I do a lot of a lot of racing on the side on the Xbox and we do our league stuff. So pretty much every sport you can imagine, except curling, probably. Uh, we just. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Does anybody pay attention to curling? Uh, <laughs> but. I, the only thing curling wise I pay attention to is uh, if you want to go look it up, it's the, uh, oh geez, I think it's Norway, the Norwegian curling team. They have a plethora of sick pants they wear <laughs> during their matches because uh, they use their flags colors and they get about every scheme possible. And that's about as much as I know about curling. I don't really, I just watch it, honestly. Like whenever the Olympics are on, it's always on the, uh, no, really, the time that no one cares about. So I'm always up late watching their old curling game. So, uh, I mean, that's what it is. And also, uh, if you haven't checked out Australian Premiership Football, I'm a big Magpies fan. So Check just throwing that, that out there. Yeah. FS1, Friday and Saturday nights, probably about two. I don't long. know about all that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Uh, we'll definitely have to, you know, definitely DVR that or something to check it out. Uh, yeah, so Triple Option Media, guys, make sure you follow it on Facebook. You know, check it out. Derek as you can tell, is very well-versed in the world of college football. He aspires to be a scout, so I definitely 
believe that he has the uh, you know the, the mind to do so and very knowledgeable. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks, thanks for having me. I'd love to uh, definitely go back and touch up again once we get well vested into the full season of college football when everybody's back playing and uh kind of give some some updates on some of these players and maybe do some more uh some more scouting if there's a player or two from the the big 10 or pac 12 that might be thrust into a starting role due to some covid stuff see if we can figure something out probably unfortunately we probably will see an occurrence like that i mean we're starting to see a lot of contingency plans within the nfl right now so it's only a matter of time that you know some more of these things start popping up in the college world uh but again man thanks for thanks for joining us we'll definitely probably have you on again again this is Derek Worley with uh triple option media make sure you guys go ahead and follow that awesome man I appreciate it thanks for having me have a good one man all righty so now we will commence with the week six picks uh for the NFL this weekend it Week in and week out, it's kind of difficult to predict how the schedule is going to break down just because there's just been, you know, a positive test left and right. I don't know if you saw, Chris, but the the Patriots, I believe, had another positive test. Yeah, I saw. I don't know who, uh, what player was yeah, it, but. It might not even have been a player. I'm, I'm not certain, you know, if it was just a staffer or something. I just, I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. I wasn't sure if you saw it or not. But the point is, is that. It, it's getting increasingly difficult to predict which games are actually going to be played on the days that they're supposed to be played. Um, you know, we're, we we knew that this would probably be a possibility with games being kind of shifted and, you know, flex scheduling. I mean, we're already seeing that with, you know, double headers on Monday night. And, you know, we'll probably see more Tuesday games. So that's probably not the last we've seen of that. Um, but nonetheless, let's go ahead and start with our picks. First game we have on the slate, the, the, uh, the, the Browns versus the Steelers. That's a big time matchup. What do you got with that one? You know what? Uh, let me just say this to you. You know, Big Ben's been proving you wrong, Mac. Oh, my God. I knew it was coming. I was trying to get past the show without it coming. But <laughs> let me just, just say it. Get it out. Get it over with. Um, I'm not a Steelers fan, but man, you you did Big Ben, you know, dirty when you first started the podcast. Did him dirty because he was coming off the sort, you know, off his soldier uh, surgery. But um, actually, because the Steelers are undefeated, I'm going for the Browns. Oh, I did not expect to hear that from you. Give me a final score. Uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a defensive game. I think both offenses are going to have a really rough time. Um, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to give it to the Browns. I'm going to let them win by 10, 38 to 28. Okay, that's not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go Browns as well, Um, you know, just being a homer and being an Ohio, you know, Ohio born and raised type guy. I love to see Ohio teams do well, even though I'm not a fan per se, of the Browns. It is good to see them get off to a good start, and I I look to see that continue against the Steelers. I think uh, as long as Baker utilizes the run game and doesn't put too much pressure on himself, I think that they have the the recipe to win, you know, 10 or more games this season. I think that doesn't change this week. I think they win. 
Um, I don't think it'll be a blowout. I don't know, I'm going to go ahead and go a low-scoring game. I think it'll probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of 23 to 20 um, Cleveland. But, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully they can pull out the W. Always good to see the Browns do well. Uh, I mean, next- oh, sorry to cut you off real quick, but, I, you know, I mean, I'm not a Browns fan, but, man, I would like to see the Browns in the playoffs, you know, before – you know, before my time has ended. <laughs> oh, man, that's just, yeah, it's been what? Uh, I think 2002 was their last playoff appearance, and 2007 was their last winning record. I think they went 10-6 and six that season and still didn't make the playoffs. Uh, but uh, let's hope that doesn't happen again because it certainly could with their division. Uh, yeah. But next game we have on the list is the Ravens. And the Eagles. I'm sure I know where you're going with this, but uh, let's let's hear you say it. I'm sorry to tell you, but the Ravens. Um, I know you guys had all the chances in the world to beat the Steelers, but you guys got beat by a rookie. Um, uh, Lamar Jackson is going to run it up. I think Lamar Jackson has me. And, you know, this is going to be my bold prediction. He has over 100 yards rushing on you. Ooh. Disrespect. Uh, highest scoring game. That's gonna be a blowout. Uh, thirty-five to fourteen. They're gonna do you guys like they did the Bengals. Damn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, couldn't even give us twenty points. All right, I see how this this gonna be. Uh, I can't fault you for that opinion because Phillies looked, you know, pretty inconsistent this season. Um. I still, I really still have faith in Philly. I just saw the injury report, and I guess we're not going to have Deshaun or uh, Alshon Jeffrey out there this week. In addition to Lane Johnson, I believe being out as well, so that does not bode well for Philadelphia. But even still, without the, the those players and the litany of injuries we've dealt with, we've we've seen a couple of bright spots uh, last week. Travis Fulgham you know, exploded for 10-plus catches, 150-plus yards. And I I don't think he'll have as successful a game against Baltimore, but I think that uh, Philly definitely is starting to trend in the right direction. Even though we lost last week, we still were able to put up points with uh, with a lot of people that uh, – well, a lot of players that people would consider no names. So – I'm going to give this one to Philadelphia. I think it will probably be a, a, a high-scoring game. I don't think Philly, you know, you get to a shootout with Baltimore. I don't think that, you know, that's good for anybody to be able to do that because they can put up points too. But I'm going to go ahead and say 27-24 Philly. Maybe that's just because I'm a, uh, an Eagles fan, but I really have faith in them. Uh, you, you, you're hoping too high. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I am, but I, I got, man, I got to. It's just the way I've been conditioned to. And, and in this division, anything can happen. Uh, the next game that we have on the list is the Chicago Bears and the uh, Carolina Panthers. What do you got for that one? Uh, I'm going, going with the Bears. Nick folks all the way. Oh, man, he didn't look so hot in his last game, but uh, still, 
he is a folk hero and I'll forever have love for him, you know, as a Philadelphia Eagle. You know, he did win Super Bowl MVP. So it, it's hard to vote against him. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Panthers in this one because I think Teddy Bridgewater is starting to hit his stride. They they really got some weapons, man. Mike Davis is a good one. Uh, DJ Moore and uh, I'm spacing out on the name of their number one receiver. But they have weapons outside of, you know, with Christian McCaffrey going down with injury, a lot of people pegged them to be, you know, a bottom five team in the league, but they're, they're looking really good. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a high-scoring affair. I don't, I, I'm not going to predict a score on this one because I really just don't know, you know, what, the, what these two offenses will hold, especially with that really terrific Bears defense. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shy away from predicting a score in that, in that game, but I'll, I'll – I'll go ahead and bet the Panthers win. I think it's going to be 24-21. 24-21. Okay, so Chris is going to be brave enough to go out there uh, and do it. We'll see what happens. Uh, and I guess if he can do it, I'll go ahead and throw a score out there, 20-17. Uh, to 17. I don't think it'll be a high scoring. I think that uh, the defenses limit both of these teams to a low-scoring affair. Uh, next game we have on the list is the Cincinnati Bengals and Indianapolis Colts. Listen, um, the Colts came off a loss against a good Cleveland team. Um, the Bengals are not there yet. <laughs> oh, my God. Especially the drama that's going on with A.J. Green. I think they should trade him, but that's a, another another day for another topic and conversation. But I'm going with the Colts. Um I think the coach might beat him by two touchdowns. So let's do 28-14. Okay. Uh, I like that score. I think that uh, the Colts definitely have a very good defense and Phillip Rivers isn't quite as washed up as I, uh, as I previously thought. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to the Colts as well. I think Joe Burrow is going to be an excellent quarterback. He seems to be learning things, you know, every single week, but the Bengals ain't there yet, like you said. Um, you know, it's 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 going to be a rough season for them in regards to wins and losses. But I'm going to go ahead and give this to the Colts. Score of 23-14. to 14. Uh, Next game we have on the list, your New England Patriots versus the Denver Broncos. Uh, my Pats. My, man, I hope they can play this week. Um, uh I got good news. Cam's back, and uh, Gilmore is too. So, um, you know, let's let's get Cam healthy. Make sure we don't get no more positive tests, please God. Uh, you know, I like to watch my, <laughs> I like to watch the Patriots play. I, I love Cam Newton, so we're gonna we're gonna wipe the floor with the Broncos because the Broncos on social media have been talking a lot of smack to us. So, um, let's just say. 35 to 10 Patriots. 35 to 10 Patriots. Oh, man. Uh, and also, Melvin Gordon is not going to be playing because he caught a DUI a couple of days ago. I saw Seems that. It. Yeah, I saw that. They def- they still have two pretty good running backs in uh, Royce Freeman and uh, Philip Lindsay. When you, when you talk about the carries. Uh, Denver, 
I've been on them pretty hard these last couple of weeks just because, you know, Brett Rippian, he ended up throwing two touchdowns, three interceptions, and he, in a game that they ended up winning on the back of Melvin Gordon, like Chris said, who won't be playing this week. But they're not going to be putting up points anytime soon. Uh, New England, definitely, if they are able to play, and they do, you said they got Cam Newton back. Did they get Stephon Gilmore back? Yes, they did. Yeah, so with, with those two on the offense and defensive side of the ball, they, they should have no trouble winning that game. I'm not going to go 35-10. I think that's what you said. I'll go ahead and go uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 28-13. to 13. I think that's, that's at least respectable for them. Uh, but there's no way that New England doesn't pull this game out, especially if you have Cam back. Uh, the next game we have on the list is the Atlanta Choke Artists versus the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going Vikings all the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of figured that. I don't think anybody's ever on this podcast. I don't think we're just we're just never going to pick Atlanta again. Yeah, <laughs> they're oh done. Listen, just Trey Julio Jones and call it a day. They, I mean, you never know. That could end up happening within this next season or two if they keep going the direction they're going. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see about that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go Vikings as well. Um, even with Dalvin Cook not playing, I think uh, Madison and company are still able to uh, win that game. Minnesota still has weapons. You know, they have Adam Thielen as well. And I honestly, I have both of those guys in fantasy, both Cook and Thielen, but I'm going to be forced to put Cook on the bench this week. So we'll have to see how that turns out. So Vikings, you better win. You better put up some points. And Adam Thielen, you better catch some touchdowns. <laughs> um, I got the Vikings winning 17-14. to 14. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and double up on that. I think it'll definitely be uh, a low-scoring affair. Uh, next game we have on the list is the Detroit Lions versus the Jacksonville Jags. Uh, I'm going to go with Detroit. Uh, uh, I'm nothing against, you know, Jacksonville, but I don't see it yet. Um, Detroit, um, uh, 21 to 14, just a seven point, you know, win. Okay. Um, uh... I'm going to go ahead and take the Jags in this one. I, I still think that Gardner Minshew isn't getting the respect that he deserves. And I like some of these Jacksonville players. Um, when you're talking about uh, Chenault and uh, Robinson, I think those two guys will go on to be, you know, if not Pro Bowl level talents, I think at least very good starting level at their positions. And I think Minshew. You know, if if the Jags finish low enough in the draft, it's over for Minshew. I think, you know, they'll end up taking Trevor Lawrence. Uh, but if they don't, and I don't think they will, I think he remains their franchise quarterback for a long time to come. They they watch out for those Jags. They they in the next couple of seasons they may just sneak into the playoffs. Uh so I'll go ahead and take them with a score of twenty three to twenty on the on the legs of Robinson. I think he's able to, you know, carry them over the hump. Uh, next game we have on the list is the Houston Texans and the very, very, very powerful Derrick Henry led Titans. 
Man, they're scary. Listen, I almost want to start a GoFundMe page for uh, Josh Norman. <laughs> yeah, to get his soul back, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm going with the Texans. The the Texans are about to give the Titans their first loss, and you know, um, let's uh twenty seven. 27-21 it's going to be a hard game a, a nice fought game hmm. <sighs> I'm going to go ahead and go Titans in this one I think Ryan Tannehill is starting to look like dare I say a top 10 quarterback in the league I know that's a unpopular opinion with a lot of people uh, a lot of people probably thought he's overpaid or think he's overpaid, rather. I don't. I think he's starting to earn that contract. Yes, he has the luxury of Derrick Henry in the backfield, but look at what Tannehill's done. He's definitely made every throw required of him, and he's definitely mobile enough to extend plays. Uh, case in point, this, this last game that he just had against the Bills. You know, he, he didn't throw for a ton of yards, but he went in, in terms of throws – he made them when they needed to be made. Three touchdowns through the air. So I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Tennessee in this one. I'll go ahead and go a score of 27 to 20. I think Houston, man, they're just in a bad spot. I think that Bill O'Brien really wrecked them. And Deshaun Watson, I really hope his prime doesn't get wasted You know, try, as, as a rebuilding team. But uh, it's, it's starting to look like that's certainly possible. He may ask for a trade eventually. I know he just signed that new contract, but uh, I would not be surprised if he asked for a trade a few years from now if they're still on the same track. Uh, next game we have on the list is the Washington football team versus the New York Giants. It's very – nobody cares about this game. It's very, uh, <laughs> very ugly uh, it's between two very challenged teams at this uh, this point in time. We've already talked about how bad the NFC East is, but uh, we have to pick. So who are you picking? I don't know, man. I think the game should be canceled. You know what I mean? But I don't know. Washington, the Washington beat the Eagles. And the Giants were killing the Cowboys for like a hot second. So uh, it's a hard. You know what? If You know what? I'm going with Washington because my boy Alex Smith is back and I He's starting this week. So let's go Washington 21 to 7. You know what? I, I really I hate to do this because I'm I'm not a huge fan of either one of these teams, but if I gotta pick one of them, I'm gonna go ahead and go with Washington. Um obviously everybody would like to see the the you know the the good story and Alex Smith returning to the field after suffering uh you know, what many believe to be a possibly career or even life-threatening injury. Uh, you know, the guy almost lost his leg. So, right? This is pretty scary stuff. Uh, football is not everything that uh, that occurs in these guys' lives. And to think that, you know, a game that we love, you know, potentially could have caused a man to lose his leg is is a scary thought. So it's a, it's a good story to see him come back and, you know, I ha- if if he is able to guide them to a win this week, I'm sure that you know media coverage will be all over it. So I'm going to go ahead and pick 
a score of 20 to 17. New York, man, they're just a dumpster fire right now. They don't have any weapons. You know, you look at, you know, Danny Dimes. He's very, very turnover prone. They don't have Saquon Barkley. They're they're not able to run the ball at all. And honestly, outside of Darius Slayton, I couldn't tell you who their next best receiver is. I mean, maybe Sterling Shepard, but, you know, we'll just have to see as this season progresses if they are able to develop any guys because that's really what this year is amounting to, another developmental year. Um, next game we have on the list, the another dumpster fire team in the New Air Jets who just traded Le'Veon Bell. Um, and they're they're playing the Miami Dolphins, who are fresh off of a win, a blowout win. Who you got in this one? Um, let's. I'm a I'm a I'm gonna go with Miami. Miami uh killed the Niners. I know the Niners are beat up this year, but they had Jimmy Garoppolo, so there was no excuse on the quarterback part. Um, Miami, Miami killed them. Um. It's, you know, it's magic, baby. I just I um, don't understand how he's able to do it, man. I don't, but he he turns it on when it matters. Um, not the sexy pick, you know, to pick the Dolphins because they really haven't been, you know, a team that's looked upon in a favorable light. But I mean, they're playing the Jets. They're they're dumpster fire. They really don't have a direction at this point, if you ask me. I think Adam Gase is on his way out. Uh, you know, but we'll have to we'll have to see how everything plays out there. But I'm gonna go ahead and go with uh <clears throat> go ahead and go with the Dolphins as well. What was your score? Uh my score will be it's gonna be a blowout. Uh thirty maybe like thirty five to ten. My, I don't Oof. think the Jets are going to really put up Dang. numbers. 35 to 10. Man. You, I mean, you saw what they did to the Niners. Yeah, they did. They put a number on the Niners. And even minus all the players that they don't have, they're still a, a very good team. So you, you got a point there. I'll go ahead and go. I'm not going to go quite that high. I'll go 28-10. Uh, mm. Next team we have on the next game we have on the list is the Packers versus the Bucks. That's. That's a big time matchup right there. A lot of people are pegging that to be maybe even the a potential NFC uh championship game type matchup. Who you got in that one? I'm going with the big dog Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. <laughs> oh you yeah. Know what? Double check. Don Brady. Don Brady has broke my heart by leaving, but I got Cam Newton. So my pain, my pain got replaced real quick. Sound like you won the divorce. Uh, yeah, actually, I look good on this end. Um, let's. It's gonna be a good game. Two good quarterbacks. You know, no argument there. Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Um, let's. Uh, it's gonna be a good game. So let's say 27-24, Packers. Yeah, I think it'll definitely be along those lines. Um, this 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 just seems like it's going to be a a big time game. So everybody's probably going to want to tune into this one. I think I'll go ahead and go twenty three to twenty, and I'm going to go ahead and select the Packers as well. 
Aaron Rodgers is playing out of his mind right now. He's looking like a potential MVP candidate. And uh, I think the drafting of Jordan Love really lit a fire under him. I don't think, as much as the Packers like to say it was, you know, possibly intentional to, you know, light a fire under him, I really honestly think that they, they thought he was, you know, closer to the end than the beginning. And they were looking at, you know, starting over. But Aaron is, you know, hushing that up real quick, even without, you know, Devontae Adams. So it's it's really hard to pick against him right now. And Brady, you know, for his part, even though he do, you know, had a five touchdown game and one NFC player of the week, he still has looked inconsistent um, you know, this year. So I'm not I I really can't pick them. I'm gonna go ahead and go Packers. Next game we have on the slate is the Sunday night football game between the uh, Rams and the Niners. And with the Niners just coming off that loss to Miami, it's very hard to look at them and pick them. But uh, who you got? I got the Rams. Um, the Rams are a good team. They only lost to Buffalo, and that was a dog fight. And you saw Aaron Donald had one hell of a game last week. Yeah, he did. So, I I, I kind of don't want to do the Niners like this, but I'm going high again. I I might even push into the 40s, <laughs> but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do them that dirty. So we're gonna say 30, 30, 35 to 15. 35, man, we got a lot of 35 games from you today. Uh, people, people be showing out. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. The Rams, as much flack as uh, Jared Goff takes, he he's uh, he's looking pretty good this year. And they have a very good defense, as always, led by Aaron Donald. Uh, but don't don't sleep on these Rams. They're, they're looking like a threat. And the Niners, you know, is it a Super Bowl hangover? Are they just are they do they just have bad luck with the injuries? I don't know. You know, I, I really can't pinpoint it to any particular thing, but I will say that they just don't look like the same team this year. So I'm going to go ahead and pick the Rams as well. I think it's probably going to be somewhere along the lines of uh, 31 to 24. So, I mean, who knows? We'll see which, which 49ers team is going to show up. That's the real question. Which team are we going to see? Which Jimmy Garoppolo are we going to see? Um, you know, it, it remains to be seen. Uh, next game we have on the list is the first Monday night game. You know, there's a doubleheader, and we'll probably see more of those as the season goes on with the, you know, the flex scheduling and the, you know, the the constant, uh, you know, threat of COVID going on. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of have to see how that plays out. But the first game is the Chiefs and the Bills. Good match. Uh, I'm going for the Chiefs. The Chiefs are coming off and a loss from the Las Vegas Raiders, which they played a hell of a game against them. Um, I'm going with the Chiefs, and plus the Bills need to lose again because they're in a, my division, and I'm trying to get first place. Um, we the Titans, Tennessee Titans, show that Josh Allen and uh, can is has a weakness. And he got picked off twice by the same corner. Oh, uh, yeah. Malcolm Butler. Malcolm, Malcolm Butler. Little Malcolm. Y'all should have kept him, man. I don't know what was going on with Bill with that. 
Um, but I'm going with uh, I'm going with the Chiefs. I'm gonna say the twenty-eight to fourteen. Okay, all right. I see you. I see you. I look. If somebody was on this show, I'm not gonna call him out by name. But what I will say is that he referred to a certain player named Josh Allen as a as the future goat. <laughs> he, he looked far from that in the game against That's Tennessee. He a joke for saying that. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, but I'll say this: Josh Allen has definitely looked very well. You know this this season, he's looked like he's progressed. Uh, you know, big time. So I wouldn't. Looked, I wouldn't doubt for him to have a bout back game against the Chiefs, but you know, the fact is, is the fact the Chiefs just have so much on offense to go. It's hard for any team to compete with them, and they just got Le'Veon Bell. You know, he's not going to play in this game, you know, he's got a mandatory, I think, five day quarantine. Um, but even without Le'Veon, they still have a litany of players to throw at the Bills. So I think the Chiefs take this one. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I'm going to go 35 to 32. Um, you know, I think they went it off of the last-second field goal. But uh, and, and Pat Mahomes has not looked, you know, the greatest to start out this season. But it just – it's scary to, to – and I, I feel like I say this every week, but it's scary to think about how much more – how much more, you know, potential, how much more room he has to grow. Um, he's getting by almost really, it seems like just purely, purely on athleticism and talent and arm strength and whatnot. Once he really nails down NFL defenses and, you know, he's able to read his progressions a little bit more, he definitely can elevate, uh, elevate to an even higher level. I got the chiefs in this one. Uh, the last game that we have on our list is the final game in the Monday night doubleheader. And that is the, Cardinals versus the uh, Dak Prescottless Cowboys. Who you got? Uh, I'm going with the Cardinals. Um, it might be, it could be a close game. So let's just say, let's just say like 21-17. Ooh, 21-17. So sounds like our man Chris has no faith in uh, Andy Dalton. <laughs> But uh, I don't know if that's a lack of faith in Andy Dalton or, you know, looking at Kyler Murray, uh, Kyler Murray's Cardinals and thinking they're just the better team at this point. Uh, I'll go ahead and uh, – you know the one team that I that I hate the most, Chris. You know it. It's the Dallas Cowboys. I can't stand them. I, I hate them more than I hate the New England Patriots. And I'll just go ahead and say this. I don't know if – my, my my hate and or disdain for the Patriots, maybe it's just Tom Brady. Maybe it literally was just Tom Brady. Because uh, now I'm looking at the Patriots with Cam Newton, and I'm thinking, man, I, this is cool to see. As as many times over the years as you said, if you could choose one quarterback to play replace Tom Brady, it would be Cam Newton, and Cam Newton's finally there. That's pretty cool to see. Tell you. <laughs> I mean, and you said that you predicted this years ago. I, I can't remember when you first said it, but uh, you were on record saying that a long time ago, and it's cool to see that. Uh, but if there's any team in NFL that I hate, it is the Dallas Cowboys. But with that being said, 
I look at the current situation that they're in, you know, even with Andy Dalton starting, I think that they have a more than enough firepower to dismantle the very inconsistent Cardinals. So I, I look for this one to be a close game. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go. I don't think Dalton is able to get the amount of points that Prescott was. So I'll go ahead and go 20 to 17. Uh, I know that that sounds crazy considering that Dallas's defense has been absolute trash, but maybe the team will rally around Dak being out. You know, we'll just have to see how things play out. But I'm going to go ahead and go Cowboys in this one, 20 to 17. Uh, with that being said, you know, we've gone through our week's picks. So the last thing that we have for today is my personal favorite segment, and that is MVPB. Mr. Velasquez, do you have an MVPB lined up for this week? Uh, honestly, no, I do not. Honestly, not this week. This week was pretty free, pretty good. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just playing. Of course, Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> please step down. Please listen. <laughs> you have so much talent. Matt Ryan is a, is throwing the ball like crazy. Top five in passing yards. Okay, so far this season. And you guys lose to the Panthers. You guys lose to everybody. You guys fail me every time I pick you. You guys suck. Okay? <laughs> I think the GM should trade, sell the team. They should get rid of everybody. You guys got new looking. I like their new jerseys. Waste the money. You should have kept the old ones. New stadium. You should have kept the old one. You guys don't deserve nothing. Oof. Dang. That's a hot tank right there. Not really. The Atlanta choke artists are terrible. Um, <laughs> so, and, and I'm sorry, you know, Falcon, you're, you're you're forever known now as the choke artist on this podcast. So, you know, do better. Stop being the MVP beat. I think that's what two, three weeks in a row now that you've been the MVP beat. Figure it out, yeah. guys. Ah, oh, man, My- I might get on Madden and change their name to choke artist. <laughs> Can you do that? I might. I, I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, my MVPB for this week is, I, I really hate to do this, um, being that he's an eagle and all, but I'm going to have to go with Zach Ertz here. Oh. I don't know if Zach Ertz's lack of production is stemming to his possible contract issues with the Eagles or if it's just a lack of game plan. But I, he he's in, you know, he's getting snaps. He's not seeing as many targets as he did last, you know, over the last two seasons. I think he's gotten 30, some 35 or 37 targets this year, um, you know, over the course of the first five games in comparison to, you know, his 2019 and 2018 numbers that it's minuscule, but it's just the, the targets that he has had, he hasn't done anything with. So I need him to get his head in the game. I'm not going to beat him up because Zach Ertz is, to me, a top three tight end, you know, when he's on and when Carson's able to fire and hit him. But he's got to get his head in the game. 
he can say all the live long day this contract stalemate isn't getting to him and isn't affecting his play. But I mean, you see for yourself, his his play on the field, his production has shown that maybe it is. Is he possibly entertaining the idea that this might be his last year in Philadelphia? It's certainly possible. I mean, you look at Dallas Goddard, who's on the bench. I believe Dallas is four or five years younger than him. Just as, uh, you know, every bit is uh, good of a route runner he is, and maybe even a little bit faster. Uh, he, he may be looking at that and saying the writing is on the wall. This might be my last year in Philly. But, buddy, that is not the way to go out, of, even if it is. You know, you set the record for most catches in the NFL history by a tight end. You got a Super Bowl wearing with Philly. You've accomplished a lot statistically. But you got to get your head in the game. So as much as it pains for me to do this, you're my MVPB for the week, Zach. So, you know, change that. Uh, <laughs> that is MVPB, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close out the show now. You know, thank you for tuning in on whatever platform you are. You know, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, all those, you know, whatever you, whatever platform you're on is just fine. But just remember to hit that like, hit, hit that share button, you know, make sure that you're subscribed uh, and have a good day. Yeah.